Good morning. My name is Calvin Davis. Today's reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, chapter 15, beginning at verse 35. Listen for the word of God. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. As for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man from on earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as a man of heaven, so are those who are in heaven. Just as we have born in the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. First comes the perishable, inherit the imperishable. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. The resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. We say a creed each week, and we won't be saying this creed this week, but next week, it's just the way that things, uh, things uh, turned out. But the last line in the ancient Apostles' Creed, one of the most universal statements of Christian belief, says, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body is one of the core teachings of the Christian tradition, but it's also one of the most controversial. On one hand, for some, it's simply absurd. I'm reminded of a friend in university's snarky comment about Easter when he said he didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because he didn't believe in zombies. The idea of bodies rising from the dead sounds like science fiction at best. On the other hand, we've got some trouble with bodies. Despite recent movements towards celebrating the human body in all of its diversity, we still tend to see the physical body as an obstacle to true living. The transhumanist movement, for example, not to be confused with transgender, it's a different thing, transhumanist movement, sees technology as the key to transcending our human limitations. 
Several Silicon Valley tycoons have made similar claims to prolong life as long as possible, if not forever, by enhancing or more likely replacing the human body itself. Immortality of consciousness, maybe. Consciousness for us is a kind of, kind of like the immortal soul, but the body, no chance. In that sense, we're not much different than ancient people either. Celsus, an early critic of Christianity, called the resurrection of the dead the hope of worms, alluding to decomposition. What sort of soul, he asked, would have any further desire for a body that has rotted? For the soul, God might be able to provide an everlasting life. But as the saying goes, corpses ought to be thrown away as worse than dung. As you notice, Celsus was okay with an immortal soul that would go on after we die, but the body was a kind of prison, this gross, decaying, limited thing to be left behind. Worm food, at best. If eternal life was anything, it would be an escape, a leaving of this physical world behind for a spiritual one. The resurrection of the body, though, those things decay. Why would you want one of those? Why would you want a body? The resurrection of the body is a core teaching, but to some it's absurd. And while others might be on the afterlife train, the idea that the afterlife has something to do with these fragile and limited things, you know, this is starting to get, you know, I'm starting to, COVID has had an effect on me. Why would we want to continue with this stuff? It's a core teaching, and yet it's, a, it's been a tough pill to swallow for both us and the ancients alike. This morning, we come to our final week in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in the city of Corinth, and the nerds among us are probably thirsting for more Corinthians. More Corinthians, please. Speaking as a nerd, well, undoubtedly some will be glad to move on. Either way, this final part of the letter addresses this exact issue, the question of the resurrection of the body. Some folks in Paul's community had the same objections, more or less, that we and the ancients had, that the body is gross, a decaying obstacle to human freedom. No zombies, please. The first thing that we need to remember is when we're talking about the resurrection of the body is that we're speaking of a deep mystery. It's something real, but it's not something that we could write a science book, textbook about and have all the formulas and equations, and here's the definite proof. This is exactly how things are going to be. It's not like that. Someone will ask, Paul says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And what's kind of funny here is that Paul is addressing an imaginary someone as a way of addressing a real person in their issues while sort of covering himself from criticism. It's kind of like how we ask our kids at the dinner table how they're doing, and they'll respond with a thinly veiled tattle on the other one, like, you know, oh, I'm doing good, but somebody, somebody stepped on the Lego dragon I took hours to build. Somebody. This is what Paul is doing here. Somebody will ask, what about the resurrection of the dead? What's the body going to be like? Which makes a lot of sense here, because Paul's answer to the question is, fool, Fool, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed. 
but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Here Paul uses the analogy of a seed. A seed and a shaft of wheat are, this, are, yes, the same things, but they also aren't. The seed has ceased becoming a seed and has become the plant it was ultimately intended to be. There's that salad there <laughs> in the end from all those seeds. It's like that when we talk about the resurrection body. Well, it's the same thing. It's also different. It's transformed in a way that we haven't seen. If you read the stories about the risen Jesus, when he visited his friends, they touched him. They sat down and they ate with him. But he also just sort of appeared out of nowhere behind locked doors. And at first they couldn't quite recognize him. He was the same, but he was different. He was transfigured. He was like the seed grown to full stature. So it's not just a regular old human body just coming back to life sort of Frankenstein style. It's the same person, yes, but it's also a body in, the form, in a form that we've never seen before. So to ask what kind of body is like asking in the kingdom of heaven, will I have teeth? What color will my eyes be? Will I have the hair that I've always wanted but could never have? It misses the point. It misses the point. Whatever the resurrection body is, Paul says, whatever it is, we're not talking about resuscitating a corpse. It's not intended to be literalistic. It's more mysterious, not the foolish caricature or stereotype lobbed by critics. The image stretches the human imagination. Life, yes, but not life as we've ever seen it before, except in Jesus when he was raised. Like Mr. T says, I pity the fool. <laughs> who thinks the resurrection's about zombies. I pity the fool. I pity him. And this is the point. I thought that, that was a lot funnier. Uh, maybe you don't know who Mr. T is. Maybe we're beyond Mr. T at this point, which is too bad. You know, I'm sure the A-team is streaming somewhere, but uh, anyway, I pity the fool who doesn't know who Mr. T is. That's what I pity. Which sort of begs the question, if that's not the point, if it's a mystery and if the point of the resurrection body isn't the exact details, what is it then? What is the point of the thing? Paul gets to the point with what he says next. What is sown is perishable, Paul says, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, he says, and it is raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a physical body, raised a spiritual one. It's that language of the seed being planted again. Note the language for what's being sown. Perishable. Dishonor. Weakness. These are all very good descriptions for the heartache of the human condition. Death. Sin. Disease, fear, anxiety, trauma, destruction, violence, war. And note the language for what's being raised. Imperishable, glory, power. This is all the language of change, of transformation. But ultimately, it's the language of healing and fulfillment. The old seed dies, and from the body of that seed sprouts new life. 
Paul continues, remember Adam, the first human, way from way back in the Bible, he was made out of dust, just like how we are made out of dust. Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus is the second Adam. He's the restart. He's the reboot. Paul says it's physical first, then spiritual second. The spiritual is the completion of the physical and not the end. First, that seed's got to go into the ground and die, but death is the soil out of which the new true life one day will emerge. Adam's the, the new Adam is the seed who's had to die, and Jesus is the ancient cedar that sprouted from him. Just as we are images of the man of dust, so too we will bear the image of the man in heaven. We're little seeds today, yes, and we will be one day covered in dirt. There's no getting around it. But at the trumpet call, Paul says, like Christ, we're destined to be old growth forever. According to Paul, the resurrection of the body is not a resuscitation of human life as it is, nor is it an escape from human life as it is either. It's not the continuation of this life, nor is it a whole new, completely different thing. Resurrection is, as the great theologian Karl Barth says, resurrection is this life's completion. Resurrection is the end goal of God's good world and human life altogether. It's the redemption of our world, the eternal retrofit of this life and its final consummation that one day God will be all in all. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the resurrection of the body. Charles de Gaulle was a World War II hero and later president of France. Many of you will know who he is. Uh, he's famous in Canada for shouting, Viva Quebec Libre! and uh, inflaming nationalist and separatist uh, sentiments in Quebec back in the late 60s. A lesser-known fact about de Gaulle and his wife, Yvonne, though, is that they were the parents of a little girl named Anne. And Anne was born with Down syndrome. If you know anything about Charles de Gaulle, it's kind of hard to imagine him playing with anything <laughs> or anyone. <laughs> but him and his wife, Yvonne, would spend time at the end of every day with their children, making sure to spend some extra time playing with Anne, who they, whom they deeply adored. The love they, they had for Anne, though, came with much heartache and struggle. Anne faced several of the severe health challenges that many people with Down syndrome face. And when they would put her to bed, Yvonne would sometimes say, Oh, Charles, oh, Charles, I have often prayed that she could have been like the other children. Why was she not like the others, she asked. When Anne died at a very young age, the de Gaulle's had a private graveside funeral service. And when the funeral came to an end, everyone left the grave except for Yvonne. Yvonne at that point was grief-stricken and she couldn't pull herself away from Anne's grave. She stood there sobbing. 
And after a while, Charles went back to her and gently touched her arm. And come, Yvonne, he said. Come. Did you not hear the promise of the resurrection? He asked. She is now like the others. Why was she not born like the others? She is now like the others. Of course, de Gaulle didn't mean that his daughter was no longer herself or a different person because she would no longer be the person they loved. I mean, folks with disabilities talk about how integral their disabilities to, are to who they are. The only Anne there ever was was Anne born with Down syndrome in a body created precious and in the image of God. But Charles meant that the person they loved would now, finally given over to God in death, would one day be brought to completion, be healed and made new, along with all the others. He meant that she would now truly be herself. Sown in dishonor and weakness, she would be raised in glory and in power. She is now like all the others. She is now like Christ. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? What's the point of the resurrection of the body? It's not simply that people can come back to life or that corpses can be resuscitated. I pity the fool <laughs> who thinks it's about zombies. I pity them. No, the point is that this life, this world, in all of its beauty and its brokenness, we in all that we are, perishable, dishonored, suffering and in pain, the resurrection of the body says that God will win out in the end. That God will not abandon us or the good world God has created to sin, death, or futility. It's a mystery that points to a reality that in the end, on the flip side of death, like the long dormant seed, all of it will come to completion, like sunflowers stretching towards the sun. One day it will all be healed. All things bright and beautiful will only be more so. As Paul says elsewhere, God will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that enables him to make all things subject to himself. It's a promise for Anne. It's the promise for you. And it's the promise for me and all the others not through human striving or human effort, but by grace, by the power of God. Have you not heard the promise of the resurrection? Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen.